Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national political reporter for the Republic. It's hard to believe, but it's already been a year since Arizona's Senator John McCain died of brain cancer. In today's episode, we talk to those close to the family and his namesake think tank at Arizona State University about the future of McCain's legacy and whether he offers any example of how to navigate a Republican party that has drifted farther to the right. Cindy McCain is calling on the public to do an act of kindness to commemorate her husband's death. The state's six-term Republican senators succumbed to glioblastoma as President Donald Trump tightened his grip on the GOP and as Democrats were about to take back the House of Representatives in the 2018 midterms. McCain's last significant act came just about a year earlier when he famously gave a thumbs down to his party's efforts at repealing the Affordable Care Act. We all remember how that moment unfolded. He walked onto the right side of the small Senate chamber, held out his hand, stuck out his thumb, and cast it downward to signify a no vote. By then, McCain was really seen as a throwback to an earlier era of greater bipartisanship, international cooperation, and more national unity. This is the part of McCain his supporters really want to preserve for future leaders. But to do that, it seems like they have to get past today's America first, red versus blue, scorched earth politics. This interview has been lightly edited for time. Here to talk about McCain's legacy are two men who knew him very well and remain close to the family, Rick Davis and John Seaton. Rick, what are some of the roles you played for Team McCain and for the senator? Uh, It goes back to uh, really the very end of 1998. John had just won re-election to the United States Senate and uh, was putting a team together to explore a run for the presidency. And uh, I got hooked up with the folks who had just come off of that campaign and were ready to look at a national campaign and signed on and have been a part of the extended family of McCain and the what we call Hotel California alumni uh, ever since really uh, November of 1998. Great. And John, what did you do for Senator McCain? I was a supporter in his uh, 2000 presidential campaign. In 2007, I I filled a number of roles on the presidential campaign, um, ended up in the primary running the uh, Iowa caucus operation, and uh, in the general was the regional campaign manager for Ohio and Pennsylvania. Well, thanks again so much for joining us. Let's get into this. Senator McCain's last Senate floor speech in 2017 was a plea for a more cooperative style of politics. At his funeral a year ago, we heard so many people praise him for his statesman sensibilities, yet we seem as a country to be more divided than we were even a year ago. Do you see us returning to a more civil style of politics in the brand of Senator McCain? John was always a fighter, right? You always have to remember. Um, he, he believed that uh, uh, a fight unjoined is a, a, is a missed opportunity. And so um, um, what he felt, though, is that after those fights, after the wins and the losses, um, you lay down arms uh, and, 
and and you find out how to work with your enemies in the future and how to get things done for the country and frankly for the world uh, because the world looks to the United States for leadership and I believe that there is actually a great deal of um, of civility right now uh, in places like the United States Senate, the House of Representatives, the Congress, uh, and and in places like the Supreme Court, uh, who have been a model of civility, you know, for our government. Um, you know, that being said, you can always do it better, and I think that part of what we are extremely happy about the legacy of John McCain is every time we have a t chance to talk about John McCain, we have a chance to talk about how to work across the aisle, how to get along with your, your opponents, and, and how to do good things for the country. So, Rick, if I could have you, you know, sort of take us behind the scenes on one of those episodes uh, that you think would help people understand where Senator McCain fought hard and then was able to, you know, put down his arms, as you put it. Well, I think, you know, uh, his relationship with Ted Kennedy is a classic reminder <laughs> that you can be uh, diametrically opposed to somebody's ideology. Um, uh, uh, Ted Kennedy, the, the lion of the Senate, the liberal scion of the Democratic Party, had very little in, you know, sort of common with John McCain, who you know, was this conservative Republican uh, with a completely different background. And, and yet, they found ways to work together because they knew that if they could do things together, that it would allow others to join in and make it a much more powerful coalition. So whether it was on immigration reform or on health or other issues, um, open, open spaces um, around the country, uh, he enjoyed the, f the fight with Ted, but he also enjoyed getting things done with him. And, that, and they were a classic reminder that, that you don't have to be opposed to somebody individually just because you're, you're opposed to their ideology. Seton, can you take us to a moment on the campaign trail, maybe, you know, behind the scenes, how you saw McCain's style play out in a way that might be unfamiliar to our listeners? Um, you know, he uh, in, in, in some of the, the rougher times in 2007, when the only reason uh, national reporters, if they were covering us at all, were just covering us to see uh, if and when he was going to drop out of the race so they could be there. Um, and he used to joke uh, that it's, uh, it's only darkest before it's completely black. It's always darkest before it's completely black. Um, that, as, as Rick talked about, that fighting spirit that optimism. The guy knew that everything was going to be okay. Maybe we weren't going to win, but he was going to he was going to carry his own bags. He was going to put one foot in front of the other. He was going to talk to reporters until they ran out of ink, ran out of pages in their notepads, or you know, ran out of batteries in their tape recorders. And he was just going to keep fighting. You're talking about something where he was, you know, sort of digging in on principled ground. You know, as recently as this week, we've seen the Speaker of the House sort of adopting this name-calling technique of just insulting the people that you're disagreeing with politically, uh, with her referring to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell as Moscow Mitch. Th but I presume this is resonating with voters. What does this tell us about the American electorate right now, and especially where the senator's message of sort of trying to reach for higher ground is concerned? Well, if I could interject, I mean, I, I, first of all, I, I'm not sure it actually resonates with voters. Uh, you look at all the survey data today, and 
And, and voters have the worst opinion of their elected officials as they've ever had in modern polling history, right? Uh, we, we, we think these things work because they are on the front page of the newspaper or they get captured by cable news and go viral on the Internet. But the reality is people aren't impressed with this conduct. And, and in poll after poll, they want to see these elected officials of theirs, people they put their trust into, work together. And it's, it's consistently more important to them than any individual uh, 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 wedge issue that these leaders within both parties tend to tend to focus on. So I think I think it's going to be a day of reckoning, right? I mean, everybody seems to think these things just work out in the end and it's just going to get worse and worse, but voters get the joke. And I think one of the things that resonated so well with voters and with the public is when John, you know, used his moment in the bully pulpit to say what we need to do is come together as a nation and start working together and, and create more civility in our public discourse. And that was popular. That did resonate. And I think that that should be a, a, a really good lesson uh, for some of the leadership and how they use uh, important words uh, like racism or, or others that are, that are very inflammatory. Do you expect any of the McCain kids to run for political office? Go ahead. <laughs> uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know if, if, if that's on the horizon for any of them, but um, I, I do know the country would be better for it. So here we are a year later, and Senator McCain continues to dominate the conversation. The president obviously continues to talk about him Republicans and Democrats alike are invoking his name in the presidential race, in Arizona's 2020 race, in other races. Uh, he looms large as, a, as an influential American character. Um, this is something that people who are currently serving can't even do. This is a presence they don't have. What have we learned over the past year about his his? role in American politics and his place in American politics? And what has it taught us about him and how he lived his life? Look, I think you've, you've touched upon what the legacy means, right? It, it is exactly the idea that if you stand up for principle, if you, if you defend your values and the values of your country, if you, if you work to the greater good, if you serve causes greater than your own self-interest, those things that Senator McCain did so well, you will have a career that is worth enjoying. And, and, and frankly, we couldn't tell that story while he was still alive because he was still creating that shadow over so much of the political world around the world. And so it's really been something to see how people continue that, that, that dialogue around his life. And sometimes it's negative and it an outpouring of support occurs. And sometimes when it's positive, you know, people are reminded about um, the impact that he had just being one individual. So we, we, we couldn't be more pleased that he's as relevant today as he was the day he passed. And, and we don't anticipate that changing anytime soon. Rick, you helped found the McCain Institute at Arizona State, which is intended to, to help foster a new generation of leaders in uh, the senator's style. 
give us a sense of what the plan is to do that moving forward. And how are you planning on using the efforts of the McCain Institute to influence the current state of American politics? Sure. Uh, it's a tremendous organization that only, you know, eight years ago uh, was created and has done a lot to already impact um, the world. Uh, not only do they have a great training program called the Next Generation Leaders that bring in, you know, 10 um, mid-career people from all over the world who would never have an opportunity to learn from leaders uh, that they have assembled at the Institute for a year of study, but then they return them to the host country and with projects that they've created during that 12 months to actually implement. <clears throat> we now have elected office holders as alumni. There are over 70 alumni now all over the world who are putting together NGOs, running for office, you know, building businesses that have an impact on their communities. It's, it's something that that John was very proud of, and he loved meeting these individuals because they had so much drive, and, and he was such an inspiration to them. Uh, we just finished a Kissinger Fellowship uh, with uh, uh, former U.S. official Kurt Campbell, a uh, real in-depth study on China and uh, the impact of technology on the future of foreign policy. And so we're relevant in the debate, and now we're launching a new campaign to educate uh, the American public on the importance of uh, human rights and their impact in the United States, not just abroad, and build an entire army of people who are willing to do what they need to do to defend that ability to have these human rights, not just at home, but abroad. You two spent some time with the senator in his final days. What was his hope for the current state of Congress and for this country? What he said in private is what he said in public. Um, he hoped that there would be a return to regular order. It sounds technical, but it's really how he believes the, the, the Congress should work. They should come together. They should debate issues. They should take votes. And, and those votes would indicate what is popular and what is not. And, and, and they, he was against the obstruction of legislation moving forward. Let the chips fall. He used to say all the time, let's take a vote. Let's make amendments. If the amendments aren't popular, they'll be voted down. If the amendments are popular, they'll be attached to the, to the legislation. He really believed that the Senate is the greatest deliberative body on the face of the earth, and he wanted it to work in the way that it had been designed. And so I think that he would like to see that body be more effective. And, and, and he believed that the Senate was the leader in Washington, and what they said you know, had great bearing. And I think he would, he would be a little disappointed with the outcomes of the last year, um, but some good things were accomplished and he would have been a part of that. Uh, he was very, very proud of the last National Defense Authorization Act that buried his name, uh, that, that, that broke through the, the, the budget limitations that had been put on the military and finally started uh, supporting our, our troops in a, in, a, in a fashion that was more appropriate a great power like ours. So uh, there were some really good things that were happening, but, but he would want to see more comedy, more civility, uh, and more action. And how are you all marking this, this occasion on the first anniversary of his passing? Are there any plans to do a library to house his books and writings, uh, anything like that that you can discuss? You know, obviously, a year ago, it was it was incredibly sad. It was incredibly 
difficult to say goodbye. It was important, I think, for Arizonans. I mean, I think I'll, I'll never forget seeing, you know, a, a line three hours long in 105-degree heat uh, out, you know, to, 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 pay, to pay final respects at the, at the Arizona State Capitol. But I'm, I'm hopeful that, that, that this year um, this can be more of an appreciation. This can be a, almost a, a happy time. The guy would not have wanted us to be sad. The guy would not have wanted us to, uh, to, to hang our heads or mope. He was an incredible optimist, and, and he'd, be, he'd be yelling at us to, you know, get back to work. You know, on a long-term basis, um, uh, the McCain Institute continues to grow and, and prosper and, and develop new programs. Um, but we would like to see more presence uh, in the, in the uh, Arizona community. And so uh, I think the family will work. Uh, hard for the next few years to see what that kind of vision they can have uh, come out of that and uh, and have more presence uh, in that community in Arizona uh, to remind people that they had one of the great representatives of the era. Well, thank you both so much for, for talking with us. We, we appreciate it, and uh, we'll be talking to you soon. Well, thank you. Have a great time, and, uh, and uh, remember uh, the best possible way to to commemorate John's passing would be to go out and perform an act of civility. Find those people who maybe you didn't get along with so well uh, and uh, take them out to lunch and find common ground. And I know that I know that, that would be something that Senator McCain would appreciate. All right, listeners, let's dive into some afterthoughts on this issue. Ron, what was your biggest takeaway from our conversation with Rick and John? You know, as I think about it, one of the things that really comes through in this is a bit of optimism that there's so much right now for all of us really to look at and find lacking in our present day politics, not just for the Republican Party, but really for both sides being unable to meaningfully engage each other. And Rick and John are certainly not you know, newcomers to politics and they're not completely naive, but I think that they are trying to carry a bit of optimism about the McCain spirit and the attitude that this too shall pass um, is you know, refreshing and hopeful. I, and I certainly hope they're correct because we could use it. I think it's interesting how they talk about how the McCain Institute and its leadership institute, which helps train people from around the world who are doing really interesting things to help their communities, um, can shape maybe in small ways, maybe in bigger ways, um, programs and dialogue around some of the issues that McCain and his family really stood for. I think the, the question really becomes, how do you scale that up? How do you make this in a meaningful way, something that can help others who might not agree with their point of view, um, you know, defend human rights across the world and champion freedom and justice. So I think it'll be really interesting to see how the McCain Institute positions itself moving forward. You heard their answer, for example, on whether or not there would be a McCain library. I mean, I think um, that could be a central place for people who either agree or disagree, to at least go and to take a look at some of the writings of of the, the late senator and to think and reflect on the values that he stood for. And it wasn't always, you know, rainbows and butterflies. Let's make that clear. That's right. And, you know, on the one hand, we're noting this as 
the passage of a year, which is, seems amazingly fast to us and a lo- so much time has gone by, but it's also not that much time. They're still wrestling with how best to honor his legacy and really all the directions that they want to take the Institute and, and you know how best to spread his message. I do think it was also telling that when we asked, you know, who could pick up the mantle of McCain, two-time presidential candidate, 2008 presidential nominee, we didn't really get a solid answer. Yeah, and I don't think we're going to get one is my guess. And and that's just sort of the the really painful truth for all of us, I suppose, is that John McCain really was a unique figure in our politics. And whether you're a Democrat, a Republican, somebody who really identifies with his biography or what, there's just no obvious replacement for somebody like that. Let's be honest, his character wasn't forged in a day and and replacing him will take some time. And it may be another generation before we see a figure who is as highly regarded on both sides of the aisle and as impactful in passing legislation and sort of helping set an aspirational tone to what his party and his country ought to be. Well, that's it for today, Gaggle listeners. While we still have you, please don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Yvonne Winget. And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Maritza Dominguez with oversight from Katie O'Connell. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week. 